I want to talk about loss of conviction. You know, a conviction is a belief or an opinion that is held firmly, fixed or a fixed or firm belief. But how do people lose their convictions? Do you know how people? Do you know how it would be possible for you? to lose your convictions. Yeah, you. I mean, I don't care if you've been in the church 20 years, 30 years. I don't care how deeply religious you are or how sold on your convictions you think you are. It is possible for you to lose your convictions. And uh, the, the, the message today is exactly how does that happen and how can we prevent ourselves from losing our convictions. You know, I said, uh, I read something on Facebook just recently. It says, wrong is wrong, even, even if uh, everyone is doing it. Right is right, even if no one is doing it. You know, the kind of conviction where you have that, basically, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter whether people agree with you or disagree. You know, whether people love you or hate you. You have your convictions and you stick to them. Okay, how is it possible, though, to lose your convictions? You know, I think of people who have left the faith. I'm thinking of two, three couples that I've known and gone to the Feast of Tabernacles with, been in church 20 or 30 years, eaten meals with, in some form probably ministered to them who have totally left the faith. And when I say left the faith, I'm not talking about going to another religion. I'm talking about they question whether God even exists or not. So how do you seemingly have this conviction where you're willing to sacrifice? You're willing to, let's say, be at the Feast of Tabernacles. You're willing to, um, you know, keep the Sabbath day, which which is, you know, that is, that's it takes convictions to do that. But how is it possible to walk away from all that and to just go right back into the world into the world as if nothing ever happened? Now, I think we all live under the illusion that we will always have our convictions. And that is just that. It is an illusion that 20 years from now, I will still have my convictions that I hold today. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I want to look at three men in the Bible, and I want to sort of look at the beginning and the end of their lives. And in a way, these three men have something in common, and that is they seem to have lost their convictions at the end of their life. Now, again, this is ironic. This is something because you think, okay, convictions are built, convictions are developed, convictions are molded and shaped. So during a lifespan, you know, how, how do you lose that conviction? Well, the first man I want to look at is Solomon. And Solomon was asked a question by God. He said, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Now, I wonder sometimes if God would come to us and ask us that question, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. What would be our answer? You know, your answer depends on how worldly you are. And don't ever kid yourself and think, well, I'm not world, worldly at all. You know, it depends on how much of an impression the world has made upon you as to what you would, what you would say when God came to you and said, anything you want, I'll give it to you. It depends on how much you have allowed the world to mold and shape you. 
Well, Solomon said, Lord, 1 Kings 3 and verse 7, said, Lord, you have made your servant king instead of David, your father, but I am but a little child, and I don't know how to come in or go out. And your servant is in the midst of thy people, which you have chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give, therefore, your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked these things. And God said to him, Well, because you've asked this, and have not asked yourself for long life, neither, neither have you asked for riches, nor you've asked for the life of your enemies, you haven't asked for any of that, but you've asked yourself for yourself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to your words. Lo, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before, neither after thee shall any arise like you. In other words, there's not going to be a person as wise and as discerning as you are, Solomon. And and we know the story that God also gave him things he didn't ask for. He gave him riches and wealth and prosperity and all the things that, you know, most most people want. But we look at his life and we we read about the end of his life. In 1 Kings 11 and verse 4, it says, For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now, it seems that in his old age, he lost his conviction. Now, the question is, how? How did it happen? Well, we can say, well, his wives did it. You know, we can blame the woman. That's a common story that began in Genesis 1. We can blame the woman, you know, and then we can blame the devil or whatever. But, um, you know, it's just, I don't know, that's just too easy to, to do here. You know, I mean, let's think about what caused him the first time one of his wives said, well, let's worship Astaroth or, you know, Moloch or whatever, one of these pagan gods. How did he succumb to Why did he agree to it? How? In other words, you almost realize there had to be a process of losing conviction along the way. I don't think you just, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're pleasing and worshiping God, and all of a sudden your wife comes in and says, let's worship pagan gods, and you say, okay, great idea. No, no, it's a process. Losing your convictions is a process. The second man we want to look at is Saul. In 1 Samuel 10 and verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord was come upon him, and it says, You shall prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. Now, here we're talking about conversion. When we talk about, okay, you're going to be turned, you're going to be turned into another man. Okay, so you think, okay, the Spirit of God comes upon you. You receive the Spirit of God. Let me ask you a question. Is it enough for you to have the Spirit of God? Will that prevent you from losing your conviction? Because you have the Spirit, the leadership of the Spirit of God dwelling inside, leading and guiding your life, is that enough to keep you from losing your conviction? The answer is no, it's not enough. It's not enough. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 14 says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed. Now, here we come sort of to the end of Saul's life or what happened to him. 
But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Wow. I mean, what happened to Saul? Well, you know, we could look at a number of things. We could look at a number of things. But what we got to understand is this. The spirit, the uh, conviction, excuse me, your convictions are fluid. I mean, they're up, they're down, they're, and, and you have something, you have a, an impact upon your conviction as far as what you allow, what you do not allow, the impressions that are in the world. You have a say in building your convictions, whether you keep your convictions or not. I should put it that way. Because I believe that when we're baptized, God gives us a measure of conviction that you didn't have before. Now, whether you keep those convictions depends on a lot of things, a lot of variables that are there. And we're going to look at some of these. The third man is Hezekiah. In 2 Kings 20 and verse 1, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, get your house in order, for you're, you're going to die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, Oh, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I, I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, as, as for Isaiah was gone out of the middle of the court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again to tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus says the Lord, The God of David, your fathers, I have heard your prayers, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal thee, and on the third day you shall go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto your days fifteen years. Now that, I mean, think about the experience that this man had. You know, you get this message from the Lord. You're going to die. It's a death sentence. And you pray and God answers your prayer. And he says, look, not only am I going to heal you, I'm going to give you 15 years. I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Would that change you? If God healed you, would that change you? Would that keep you from losing your conviction? Would you always be faithful if God healed you of your sickness? If he added days to your life, you know, would that keep you from losing your conviction? When Second Chronicles 32 and verse 25, we come to the end, or a statement that's, that was made about Hezekiah toward the end. It says, but Hezekiah rendered not again, according to the benefit done unto him. What benefit was that? Well, it was healing him and adding 15 years to his life. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him, upon uh, Judah and Jerusalem. So we see that pride came in. Where did pride come from? You know, what happened to his conviction? Great healing. 15 years added to your life. And yet the end of his life didn't turn out very well. Now they all started out so well. Solomon, Saul, Hezekiah. And I think all three men shared the same assumption. And the assumption is this. I will always have the convictions that I have today. There is no guarantee that 20 years from now, you will have the same convictions that you hold today. 
Now, in a way, we could say, well, if your convictions are wrong, that's good. We should change our convictions. But, but here's what I want you to understand. There are some things that we know. We know are right. We know that our convictions are right because they're backed up by the word of God. And yet, and yet, you can lose true convictions. You can lose absolute convictions, convictions that are right, convictions that are in line with the word of God. You know, God says, I change not. And you would think, well, that's impossible to lose those convictions, but it's not. It's not impossible. Now, how we lose our convictions. I mentioned this earlier. When we receive the Spirit of God, we're given a measure of the Spirit of God. Now, I also believe at that moment we are given a measure of conviction. A measure. You know, it may not. But it, it is. It's convictions that we often that we didn't have before. But as I said, convictions, they're fluid. They're moving. They're not stagnant, you know. And you, you have to understand this. You have to develop and nurture and minister to your convictions. Now, the first way that I want to talk about that we lose our convictions, number one, is allowing what I call allowing impressions. And that is allowing others to impress upon you things that are contrary to God. You know, it's the world in which we live in. And, and, and I asked earlier, what would you ask for if God said, I'll give you anything you want? Well, again, how worldly are you? How worldly are you? How much do you allow the world to impress upon you? You know, there's a reason I watch probably two movies a year as far as going to a movie. There's a reason I don't have many friends because I don't like their impression they put upon me. There's a reason why in a year I may watch 40 hours of television there's a reason why I live in the country versus the city. There's a reason I, you know, religion, I'm not that impressed with religion. And, and you know, I limit myself to, not that I never listen to anybody, any other's opinion, I'm not saying that. But I just realized that a lot of times the impression of religion can be so subtle and yet so powerful how it impacts your convictions. You know, I mean, for 50 years, we've been been under the sway of religious propaganda. Just believe, just accept. Grace plus nothing. Just invite Jesus into your heart. It's all about love. Just love Jesus. Just love everything. Love everybody. You know, just love, love, love. And, and the, the subtlety of that. And you can just become a whimsical wimp. With no convictions other than just love, just love everything, everybody, just love Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With no real convictions. So I limit myself to how much I'm exposed to religion. Okay, allowing others to impress upon you the th things that are contrary to God. And that's very true when it comes to religion, by the way. Things that are contrary to God. God's word, God's way, God's commandments. You are very impressionable whether you admit to that or not. Um, and this new creature in Christ, if you have the Spirit of God, is very, very, very impressionable. 
It's precious in the spirit of God. And, and, and you want to question, okay, am I going to allow this thing to have an impact on me? As children, we are impressionable. You know, I, I told a story that when our daughter was homeschooled, she had started picking up. We had a, for about a year, I had cable TV. And uh, she was watching this pro, Disney program. Get this, a Disney program. Something about Raven, a smart, smart aleck uh, person that just, and, and, you know, a know-it-all little child that, you know, <clears throat> thought it was so smart. But I just realized my daughter was picking up the wrong kind of attitudes by watching that program. This is Disney, by the way. Okay, get that. It's Disney. All right, and so when I picked up on that, I got up the next morning and ripped the satellite dish off the roof and threw it down and threw the receivers in the dumpster and canceled my subscriptions, you know, to that. And, of course, when I told him, I, I said, look, I don't want this stuff. And they said, oh, you, we've got some hot stuff. And I said, it's a problem. It's too hot, you know. And so, you know, we, th- we, we can talk about your impressions as a child, but that – I don't know if, if, if you ever stop being impressed by the things of the world, allowing others to impress upon you things that are contrary to God. And you really got to realize that this new creature in Christ, you don't want that, creature, that new creature in Christ that is developing. What do you allow it to consume? What are the impressions that you allow that new creature in Christ to, to you know, to, uh, to wash over you? You know, what are the impressions that you are allowing? Now, I want to give you some insights about people because I'm not, I'm not a people person. I'm, I'm really not. And a lot of people don't know that, but, but I, I, that's me. I'm not a people person. And I have very few friends because I don't really care about their impressions that they make upon me. But I want to give you some insights about people. You may be a people person. You just love being around people. Let me give you some insights about people. When a person is void of the Spirit of God, the way he persuades himself is by persuading others. In other words, the way he convinces himself is by convincing others. So if this person is doing something wrong, something he knows is wrong, <clears throat> he, he doesn't have the Spirit of God to correct him and to guide him. So the way he convinces himself, the way he soothes his conscience, is by persuading others, is by convincing others. Now the problem is you are the other. You know, you're the one that he's going to come to and try to justify what he's doing by convincing you and persuading you. Now, you just need to be aware of that. You need to be, that's an impact. That's an impression upon you. Now, if you have the Holy Spirit, your persuasion is internal. It's from the leadership of the Spirit of God. That is, if you have the Spirit of God, that's where your impressions come from. But still, we still have to be selective in, in other areas here of what we allow to impress upon our hearts and minds. So, <clears throat> uh, I can just hear someone say, though, well, didn't Jesus eat with publicans and sinners? You know, if <clears throat> you're not a people person, well, how do you ever minister to people? Well, 
let me make some comments about this. Um, would Jesus minister to a homosexual? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Would G- Jesus go to a gay rally to minister to homosexuals? No. No. Because, you see, a gay rally is like a, this, that's what you call the institutionalization of sin. It's a big difference between the personal sinner ministering to a personal sinner and what I call the institute, the organizations, the institutionalization of, of sin. Uh, would Jesus drink a beer with a friends? Well, absolutely. Would Jesus go to spring break or Mardi Gras to drink beer? No, of course not. Because you know what's going on in those institutions. You know what goes on in those you know, organized uh, developments or whatever you call them. Would Jesus minister to a prostitute? Absolutely. Would Jesus go to downtown, downtown market where the pimps and the prostitutes are hanging out to minister to them? No, no. I don't think he would. Because you know what's going on in those environments. You, you know what's, you know, they're not there to convert. That's what I'm saying. Uh, or to repent. That's not where you go to repent. You don't go to downtown market where the pimps and prostitutes are at to repent of your sins. You don't go to spring break and Mardi Gras to repent of your sins. You don't go to a gay rally to repent of your sins. Okay. So you need to make the difference between the personal sinner and the institutionalization of sin. Uh, another thing I want to I want to mention before I leave this point of of how we lose our convictions, that is, the impressions, allowing impressions, is how much do you allow creation to impress upon you? You know, it's a thing, it's sort of sad, you know, if I lived in a city and all you have is concrete and asphalt, it would be hard for me to, for me personally, now I'm sure there's people stronger than I am, but it would be hard for me to maintain my relationship with God living in a city. So how much do you allow creation to impact this new creature in Christ? To impress upon this new creature in Christ? Because it's critical. Because, you know, the Bible says that the things are made, that we, we can know God by the things that are made. Okay. You need to get out in creation and, you know, take a walk, take a hike, whatever, you know, take a, have a picnic with your family and, and get outside and allow that impression of God's good creation, the beauty of God's creation. Okay, how do we lose our convictions? Okay, the first one was allowing others to impress upon you things that are contrary to God. I think it's a long road, by the way. I think it's a long lesson in history. I think it's what happened to Saul, Solomon, and Hezekiah, that they just allowed things to impress upon them that they knew was wrong. The second way we lose our conviction is what I call parroting others. Parroting, the parakeet, you know, parroting others. It's the failure to personalize your convictions. And, and the, what you need to come to is this. You, you need to be able to say, look, I am, and then fill in your name. For example, I am David Freeman, and this is what I believe. Okay? doesn't matter 
what other people think of you, whether they reject or accept you, whether they like you. This is what I believe. And a lot of times, you know, most people's religion is just parroting others. Most people's faith is just parroting others. We were a couple of guys I was working with. We were having a religious discussion. And this one guy, he, he made the comment. He said, well, Paul, Paul said I die daily. And the statement had nothing to do with what we were talking about. But it was a religious phrase. He was just parroting something that he had heard. Didn't even fit the conversation. Well, Paul says I die daily. Okay, good for him. Good for Paul. Um, But, you know, but again, my minister said so. There's no real conviction. That's just parroting others. Parroting others. And I think that's one of the ways we lose our convictions. We never, it's the failure to personalize your convictions. These are my convictions. I, I see a, a small example of this in, in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 28. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from, from you this day and has given it to your neighbor of yours that is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is a man that he should not repent. Now, if, you know, if God said this to me, look, God has rent the kingdom from you. And he's given it to a man that's better than you. I would fall down on my knees and say, oh, God, what have I done? Well, notice Saul's uh, response here. He says, then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people, and pray and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. Just something about that response is, it's sort of parroting others. You know, we got to put on a good show. You know, God just tells me, look, God has rejected you, he's rejected me, and he's giving, giving it to a, the kingdom to a man that's better than you. And my, my response is, okay, uh, pray with me uh, before the elders. You know, we've got to put on a good show. We've got to look religious. We've got to put on the robes and the holy garb and, and, you know, all the pretense. It's just, you know, it's just, it's unreal. It's unreal. Parroting others, when you think about it, parroting others is the conviction that you never really had. You never really had those convictions. You were just mimicking others. The third way we lose our convictions is what I call faithless living. The impression of faithless living destroys conviction. Notice that. Faithless living destroys your conviction. So we want to know how do we lose our conviction? Well, faithless living. In Numbers 13 and verse 27. And they told him, this is the story the spies went in to check out the, the promised land and they came back with an evil report. Not all of them did, but notice this. And they told him, and it said, we came into the land where you sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. And you know, You know the story. They had a cluster of grapes that they carried between two men on a stick grapes about the size of a grapefruit or something like that you know and uh, this is the fruit of it nevertheless verse 28 nevertheless nevertheless you know we went into the promised land 
It's, it's truly flowing with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. It's wonderful. It's great. It's going to be a blessing. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the city are walled, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites, and the Jebusites, and the Hittites, and Amorites. You know, they dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by, by the sea. And the coast of Jordan, and Caleb sealed the people and said, and before Moses said, look, let us go up at once. We can possess it. We can overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They forgot they had God on their side. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they searched. You know, that little word, nevertheless, you're going to, multiple times during the day you're going to have what i call a test of your faith the way you think the way you view your life the way whether it's positive or negative thinking multiple times in a day this is going to come your way you know let me give you some examples of how you need to use this word nevertheless You don't need to use it in a negative term. You need to turn that around to a positive way of thinking. You know, I'm sick and I feel bad. Nevertheless, God's going to heal me. And I'm going to get better real quick. I can't see that my efforts are accomplishing anything. Nevertheless, God's going to bless this thing. It's going to be great. I don't have the finances. Nevertheless, God will provide. I dread this meeting. Nevertheless, God will strengthen me. He will provide. He will comfort me. He will give me the words that I need to say. I dread this appointment. Nevertheless, it's going to turn out good. You see, you got to use that word. You got to use that word nevertheless because the tendency is to say, look, I'm sick and I feel bad. Nevertheless, I'm going to die. You know, that's our tendency. That's the way we, we that's our lack of faith. And faith, this lack of faith destroys conviction. So you got to use this in a positive term. And, and, and like I said, daily you will have 20 times you will be hit with a little test of faith of just the way you view things, the way you think, the way you your mind works. Okay. In Numbers 13 and verse 33, I love this little story here. It says, that, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which came up, came, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. That's one of the most powerful verses. That's Numbers 13 and verse 33. That little statement, and we were in our own sight. In other words, in my own eyes, I was like a grasshopper. Nothing irrelevant, useless, meaningless, a meaningless life. No purpose, no goal. No agenda, nothing. I was nothing in my eyes. And so we were in their sight. You know, how you see yourself? Let me ask you a question. How do you see yourself? Again, 20 times a day, you'll be tested with how you see yourself. And often, how we see ourselves is, oh boy, nevertheless, this is going to be bad. And we just don't, we just need to turn that around. And just say, okay, no, no, nevertheless, this is going to be good. This is going to be a good day. 
instead of always looking at the negative. You know, you either see yourself in faith or out of faith daily. The impression of faithless living destroys conviction. So how do we lose our conviction? Again, at baptism, we're given a measure of conviction. We're given a measure of the Spirit, but that I think included in that is a measure of conviction. Convictions are fluid. They're up. They're down. They're always moving. Okay? All right. How do we lose our convictions? One, allowing others to impress upon you things that are contrary to God. Two, parroting others, the failure to personalize your convictions. Three, faithless living. The impression of faithless living destroys conviction. Now, I hate to leave on such a negative term here, but I want to leave on with this scripture because it tells us a lot. Second Peter 2 and verse 20 says, For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. Notice that. Is it possible to turn from the commandments? Oh, yeah. All you got to do is just lose your convictions. And I'm telling you how you do it, how we lose our convictions. All right, 2 Peter 2 and verse 22. But it happens unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to its own vomit. Again, how gross is that? And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So people, I mean, we, we have to struggle with this. We have to work with this. We have to, we have to um, realize that our convictions, if you're living under the fantasy that you will always have your convictions, you are living under a fantasy. And we need to mark this down, write this down. The things that destroys convictions. Allowing others to impress upon you the things that are contrary to God. Parroting others and faithless living. So keep abreast of this. Keep aware of this. Try, test yourself daily, and realize that conviction, you know, conviction is a, uh, it's a task. It's just too easy. You know, I, I'm convinced that what a lot of us would like to be, it's old, um, I know I'm bringing up, you know, rock and roll songs here, but it's an old song by Bob Seger entitled Beautiful Loser. Beautiful loser, when are you going to fall? I'm convinced there's a beautiful loser in all of us. There's a side of us that probably wants to lose our convictions. But you can't afford that. Why? Because you've been called. There is no other chance for you. If you've been called of God, this is your day of salvation. This is your one and only chance. For salvation if you've been called and given God's spirit so by the grace of God never ever lose your convictions